More than ever, I am super selective on how I spend my time, whether it's choosing which emails to read or how I get my continuing ed units. I want value for my time and efforts. I'm Shar Beauchart, and I bet you can relate. So when I say I get my CEUs from SpeechTherapyPD.com, just know their speech-language videos and pod courses are practical and totally worth it. And right now, you have the exclusive opportunity to pay less for the subscription than I did. <laughs> okay? Memorize this discount code. It's SHAR, C-H-A-R. Just go to SpeechTherapyPD.com, subscribe, and at checkout, type in what? SHAR, C-H-A-R. You get a $10 discount for heaven's sakes. <laughs> Do it now. It doesn't take long. SpeechTherapyPD.com. You and your speech kids will be glad you did. It's time well spent. Welcome to the Speech Link. I'm your host, Sharp Beauchart, and I invite you to listen and learn practical strategies from experienced experts to take your therapy to the next level. Hello, and welcome to the fifth installment of the Perfect Oral Motor Storm. Thanks for hanging in there. And as you may know, in previous Oral Motor Storm podcasts, I've pretty much critiqued and explained and countered the concerns of others about doing oral motor therapy. Today is different. Not only is it the last episode of the Perfect Oral Motor Storm, not the last episode of the Speech Link, but today is more proactive, if you will, and based on the wave theme, I call it the new wave. It entails interesting critical information with a little therapy thrown in behind the therapy method that I refer to as capability-based speech sound therapy. Now, if this is the first one of the series you've listened to and you'd like to listen to the others, the free podcasts are available at iTunes and Podbean and TuneIn and so on. And the pod courses, as well as the handouts in ASHA CEUs, are at speechtherapypd.com or just access all the handouts at speechdynamics.com. Today's practical information is organized in five simple sections. Speech, the goal speech sound grouping, five speech sound production elements, oral resting posture, the harmonizer, and capability-based speech production therapy, seven principles. Let's jump in. Currently, there are contentious debates and little evidence to support what we SLPs do in speech and language therapy. The topic of oral motor is but one area under question, albeit it is the most openly controversial. In the section on research data, the fourth wave, we discussed the extensive and perhaps the highest quality evidence-based systematic review, the EBSR, on oral motor by Macaulay et al. 2009. And you may recall their comprehensive criteria for including or excluding articles and their far-reaching databases that covered the years between 1960 to 2007. Now, one of their primary findings was the extent and diversity of ages and disorders of participants within the final 15 EBSR studies. For example, the participants ranged from infants to elderly adults and exhibited a wide variety of medical diagnoses and communication disorders, like mild articulation disorder, Down syndrome, cerebral palsy, stroke, and cleft palate. In addition, the types of oral motor exercises and interventions used were equally diverse. 
oral stimulating plates, myofunctional therapy, range of motion exercises, strengthening exercises, sensory stimulation, and blowing and sucking tasks. Macaulay and colleagues' findings underscore the wide range of how oral motor can be interpreted and applied. It has previously stated in an earlier section, oral sensory motor techniques can be applied to anybody that has a mouth. We can all agree that no matter the type of therapy each of us implements, it must be grounded in a solid theoretical foundation. Now, I offer an evidence-based theoretical rationale for physiologically-based therapy, and it's called Capability-Based Speech Sound Therapy. The methodology centers around the tangible components of speech production that can be adapted and applied accordingly to the age and characteristics of each client's capabilities. As reflected in the findings by Macaulay et al. 2009, this form of therapy is also client-based, as are many types of oral sensory motor approaches. We meet clients where they are on their developmental path and guide them toward speech production based on their needs and abilities. Although this specific methodology is primarily for children who are verbal, that lack speech clarity, so to speak, to one degree or another, the rationale can be applied to low verbal or nonverbal children and even adults. And as we'll find out, the points of speech stabilization and mobilization apply to all. Now, I've researched the topic of physiologically-based speech therapy for several decades, and I've found the mouth to be a crossroads of disciplines. Therefore, the following referenced information today is from a variety of specialties, including speech pathology, dentistry, orthodontics, maxillofacial surgery, physiology, neurology, occupational therapy, physical therapy, respiratory, and even psychology. My investigations and conclusions are presented from a practical speech-language therapist's and therapy perspective. At least 80% of the principles are based in research evidence. The remaining is based on my study, interpretations, experience, and observations. Here is section number one, speech, the goal. In capability-based therapy, no matter the client's age, type, or extent of the speech production obstacles that the person displays, the ultimate goal is always speech production. In therapy, the component commonalities across speech production, which we're going to discuss, are addressed and modified according to the individual's age and capabilities. Now, critical to this viewpoint is one's interpretation of speech with a capital S. It is imperative to have a core paradigm to come from, or at least a definition or description of speech. Now, Dr. Kent, 2015, states that, quotes, speech is rarely defined at all. In its various documents, ASHA apparently does not define speech, but does define a speech disorder as an impairment of the articulation of speech sounds, fluency, and or voice. That's ASHA, 1993. So what is your speech paradigm? And does it really matter if you have one? Now, I think so. Whatever your belief about speech, the ultimate functional goal influences and shapes how you do therapy. Do you believe that speech has phonetic qualities and is a system of oral interactive movements? Moss, 2014, puts forward his definition, quotes, 
Speech production is a complex motor skill that requires coordination across many different muscle groups with extraordinary spatiotemporal demands, end quotes. Or to you is speech a phonological language system and a cognitive auditory function. Ziegler and Ackerman, 2013, explain motor events in speech, quotes, as a specific branch of linguistics, i.e. the sound systems of language, end quotes. It is understandable why some in the phonology camp do not comprehend how speech, capital S, can be parsed then combined. After all, how does one parse a speech sound that is perceived as an auditory result? Could this be one reason for the oral motor controversy? Most of us do use the term speech sound disorder. This emphasizes the resultant speech sound, not the speech movement act. As a therapist that appreciates a visible and tangible oral mechanism to work with, I lean toward the phonetic camp. But perhaps, like me, you believe speech, with a capital S, is a combination of both. Dr. Kent, 2015, defines speech as, quote, movement or movement plans that produce as their end result acoustic patterns that accord with the phonetic structure of a language, end quote. And with that said, I found kind of a fun, interesting article in a past ASHA journal. And this was the report of the sub subcommittee on articulation problems, research needs. Quotes, the committee did not feel that adequate definitions were available and therefore recognized a the need to develop a more satisfactory definition of articulation. B, the need to develop a more satisfactory definition of articulation disorder. And those were four individuals uh, that you probably recognize, Scheifelbush and so on, from Journal, the Journal of Speech and Hearing Disorders, Monograph Supplement 5, September 1959. And that's page 14. So even back in 1959, that's what, yeah, 60 years ago. We were looking for a definition of articulation and articulation disorders. Whoa. Speech and speech disorder definitions are numerous. They're out there. However, finalized, agreed-upon definitions are still a work in progress. I recommend that you study the principles of speech, capital S, and choose for yourself. They suggest four-tongue surface shapes that occur during speech production. They call them the lingual curvature index. And I've got four little pictures there, little graphics or drawings, little a humped up, you know, tongue, and then a flat one, and then one that's a little scoopy-doo, and then it's a little bigger scoopy-doo. Now, here's a new suggestion. Grouping of speech sound productions physiologically. The three studies that I just mentioned recognize similar lingual grooving and lingual front and back elevations. My suggested new way of grouping lingual characteristics for speech sound production is in part inspired by the three studies plus the work by Fletcher and by Gibbons. There are underlying similarities in points of stabilization and mobilization, although they didn't always use those terms. Unlike the three studies that identified lingual contours, this, or my lingual speech sound grouping, is based on lingual planes of movement during speech production. Keep in mind that all speech sound productions contain specific lingual and labial parts that stabilize and parts that mobilize. We'll be talking more about that. 
The corners of the lips stabilize or contract to provide anchorage for the mid area of the lips to move in a refined, differentiated manner for P. I'll just say this, the, the letters for P, B, M, W, and the WH. Regarding the jaw, just a little bit about the jaw, a mature jaw does not anchor in place. Okay, it doesn't anchor, it doesn't stabilize in place. The jaw muscles co contract minimally to vertically adjust according to the needs of the lips and the tongue. According to Gibbon, 1999, quote, the two articulators are the tongue tip blade and the tongue body. The tongue body can be further divided divided into front and back regions, end quote. Following is a straightforward and therapeutic, helpful way to group English lingual consonant speech sounds. Only lingual stabilization and mobilization are addressed here. So I've got four categories. Front tongue vertical sounds. And I'll say the sounds. T, d, n, s, z, sh, j, 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 l, and the retroflex er. The tongue braces externally within the upper dental arch and achieves lateral dental palatal stabilization. And it stabilizes internally via mid-tongue contraction or the groove, or the tongue bowl. Now, we're, we'll be talking more about that if you're not familiar with it. Also, there's there are back tongue vertical sounds, k and the backup er. The back tongue quotes corners. We don't have quarters, but you know what I mean. Brace on the retromolar pads. That's a term from dentistry that we've borrowed, and it's the area up behind the top back teeth. You know, and, and they hold on there, the corners hold on, while the mid-tongue of that elevated back tongue moves vertically. The third one is mid-tongue vertical sound, the mid-tongue vertical sound, the ya. The mid-tongue raises and lowers while the tongue sides bilaterally brace on the side teeth. The fourth one, whole tongue horizontal sounds, and those are the two THs. The voiced and the unvoiced THs. These two sounds require internal whole tongue tension while moving horizontally. Everybody else is vertical. The lateral margins may contact and slide along the cutting surfaces of the top side teeth. This may be more of a guide than a point of stabilization. Okay. Most speech sounds require vertical tongue movement. Only two of those speech sounds require horizontal tongue movement. Are you unsure about that? Then notice your own tongue's plane of movement as you move from your tongue's resting position into the speech sound placement. Also, note that stabilization has two forms, external and internal. And we'll be talking about those. Most of our speech kids move their tongue horizontally for front tongue vertical speech sounds. So you see where we need to go. It's easy to visually determine why they have difficulty producing correct speech production movements. Their tongue lacks appropriate stabilization to facilitate appropriate vertical mobilization. In therapy, when consistent horizontal tongue movement is present for speech productions that are supposed to be vertical, you may hear a sound that sounds similar to the target. Do know that generalization and transfer may be difficult without appropriate external and internal lingual stabilization. Does this make sense for interdental productions? Their tongue is moving horizontally, and we need to get it moving vertically based on stabilization. 
And here is the third section, speech sound production elements. It has been said that speech sound productions cannot be parsed. Loft 2017, Forest et al. 2008, plus a whole host of others. I.e., meaning speech cannot be segmented into components that directly relate to speech sound productions. So if one just lists mouth parts or speech subsystems or speech sound descriptors like plosives and fricatives, etc., that claim is certainly accurate. The following, however, provides simple speech sound components. They are comprised of common movements across speech sound productions that can be addressed therapeutically. And as a therapist, this knowledge gives me the ability to efficiently analyze and improve my clients' oral capabilities as they directly relate to the speech components and the speech sound. With that said, it is critically important to then layer and combine the elements into the target speech sound production. Generalization and transfer into connected speech is optimized due to effectively addressing the speech components. Now, here is the list of the five speech sound production physiological elements, okay? And then we'll talk about them in depth. One, speech requires external lingual stabilization. Two, speech requires internal lingual stabilization. Three, speech is primarily comprised of vertical lingual movements. Four, Speech movements are refined, precise, and differentiated. Five, speech involves intraoral sensory interactions. Number one, under speech sound production elements, external lingual stabilization. And if you have the notes in front of you, uh, Fletcher, Stone, Gick, Wilson, and Derek, Gibson, and Wood, plus a whole bunch of other ones are listed there as far as resources. And if you want to know even more about all of this, you have some resources to turn to. So here we go. External lingual stabilization, commonly referred to as bracing, B-R-A-C-I-N-G, pro- provides anchorage for controlled mobilization. That's Gick 2013, Leon Gibbon uh, 2015, Gick again in 17, 2017. Degrees of contact vary on the maxillary side teeth, the perimeter of the palate, and the retromolar pads. Lee et al. Actually, Lee is over in Ireland. In fact, a lot of these researchers and professors are in other countries. Um, Lee provides reasons for lateral margin bracing. It forms a seal with the palate and upper teeth. It directs the airflow centrally. It helps anchor and stabilize the tongue for controlled movement. It aids in the formation of tongue shapes for articulation. It enables the buildup of air pressure during alveolar consonant production. And it provides somatosensory feedback regarding its position. And in my opinion, this is one of the most important reasons. Until Gick's 2017 study, apparently the term lingua dental bracing referred to light contact of the sides of the tongue against the side teeth instead of energetic mechanical support. This statement validates the fact that the tongue externally anchors itself to facilitate controlled, refined movements. In addition, Gick 2017 concluded, quote, Tongue bracing is both pervasive and active in running speech and is essential in understanding tongue movement control. That's page 494. Therefore, not only is it important for the tongue to be lingua 
dentally braced during individual speech sounds, but also during connected speech. Quote, the tongue is almost always constantly braced against the lateral surfaces during running speech. That's Gick and Allen, 2013. Lateral bracing helps the tongue to keep its place during connected speech and to move smoothly from speech contact to speech contact. In their recent 2018 article, Luo et al. asks the question if lateral bracing is truly necessary for speech. They conclude that, quote, lateral bracing is actively maintained under different degrees of jaw perturbation, suggesting that bracing is a crucial component of speech production, end quote. Therefore, it is a critical piece in speech therapy. Interesting, McLeod, 2011, and this took place in Australia, (laughs) surveyed SLPs and found that the SLPs did not fully understand the role of the lateral regions of the tongue during the articulation of speech sounds. But the information is getting out there. And for more information on this topic, you can go to my Therapy Matters blog. Just go to speechdynamics.com forward slash blog. And blog number seven is speaking tongues are actively braced. Number two, internal lingual stabilization. And you have several references there. Kieran Smith, 1985. Smith and Keir, 1989. Stone and Lundberg, 96. Green and Wang, 2003. Kent, 2004. Stoller and Gick, 2013, etc., etc. <laughs> Interestingly, in E.W. Scripture's 1912 book called Stuttering and Lisping, It contained phoneme by phoneme lip and tongue facilitation techniques. It also included techniques to elicit a midline groove for S. In 1985, the lingual groove slash tongue bowl was formally identified and discussed in the physiology world in Kieran Smith's biology article called Tongues, Tentacles, and Trunks. The Biomechanics of Movement in Muscular Hydrostats. Think of an elephant's trunk, an octopus arms, and the human tongue. Then in 1989, Smith and Keir explain that muscular hydrostats are, quote, notable for their functional diversity and complexity of movement. They are distinctive because they are composed almost entirely of muscle. They lack any obvious system of skeletal support, end quote. There are no bony joints, no bones, no joints to move or provide control. Quote, the musculature itself both creates movement and provides internal skeletal support for that movement. End quote. Internal lingual stabilization is manifested either via whole tongue internal contraction, like for TH and the backup ER and perhaps the SH and or mid-tongue gradients of contraction, identified as a groove or a tongue bowl in most of the front-tongue vertical speech sounds. Mid-tongue contraction stabilizes and enables the front-tongue to elevate and curl to generate a variety of front-tongue vertical speech sounds, and that's based on Kent 2004, Green and Wang 2003. The spatiotemporal relationships between the tongue and the alveolar ridge the hard palate, the velum, and even the front teeth are expedited by stabilization. Where would the tongue be without it? Okay, many of our speech children supply really good examples. 
If they do not apply appropriate lingual stabilization or they are unable to access it, typically they contract other body parts, apparently in an innate effort to stabilize. For example, they either bite their teeth together or contract their lips, compress their lips against their teeth, tighten their facial muscles or tighten their throat muscles, etc. Green and Wang, 2003, suggest that an improved understanding of the extent of functional regionality within the tongue will be important for explaining features of normal and disordered speech and swallowing. End quote. Yes, it most definitely would. Number three, speech sounds are vertical. Kent, 2004, Liu, L-I-U, et al., 2018. Quote, appropriate lingual stabilization enables mobilization for vertical, refined, precise, agile movements. And that is Liu, 2018. In addition, Kent, 2004, explains that the Quotes, bending of the tongue is achieved through differential contraction of the intrinsic muscles of basically the lingual muscular hydrostat, operating under the constraint of conservation of volume. End quote. As previously mentioned, most lingual sounds are vertical. The front tongue vertical speech sounds are, you know what they are, and the retroflex er. And the back tongue vertical speech sounds are and the backup er. Okay, as well as the retroflex, because the retroflex er lifts the back of the tongue and it curls the front. Specifically regarding the R productions, the er productions, the back tongue quotes corners stabilizes bilaterally on the retromolar pads. The lingual elevation shapes a pharyngeal resonance space for the backup er, 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 and an oral resonance space. The front tongue lifts or retroflex for the retroflex er, er. For additional information, go to the speechdynamics.com website. There you will find several, lots of information. Um, our Therapy Matters blogs and our article and the EZR book. Tons of information on er. An important thing to remember therapeutically is that both types of stabilization must occur, i.e., external stabilization on the on the teeth and the perimeter of the palate and internal stabilization via mid tongue contraction and this is these are primarily for the front tongue sounds if the tongue is lowered and at the horizontal midline in other words it's not elevated up within the dental arch and the mid tongue contracts the result is something that looks like an l that also typically stabilizes on either the edges of the incisors or the posterior area of the top front teeth. And you get that interdental kind of thing going. In essence, appropriate positioning up within the dental arch, appropriate lingual dental palatal bracing, and appropriate mid-tongue contraction must occur simultaneously to generate front-tongue vertical movements for interaction with the opposing articulator. You see the benefits of parsing components, then layering them into the production of the speech sound? Yeah, you hit all the bases, and that leads to carryover. Number four, speech movements are refined, precise, and differentiated. And of course, you have Fletcher, 1992, Kent, 2004, and Van Lee Schout. Van Lee Schout, 2017. 
I am slaughtering these names. The size of oral movements, sometimes referred to as amplitude, matters in speech production. In his 2017 study, Van Shout evaluated the impact of labial and lingual amplitude in the production of bilabials and the tongue for specific vowel-consonant-vowel strings. The results showed that with small movement amplitudes, basically where the tongue moves slightly away from the upper arches, there was a decrease in coordination stability and quality of resulting sounds. Then, in his 1992 book, Articulation, A Physiological Approach, Fletcher views speed, positional accuracy, consistency of articulatory movement, and movement efficiency, in other words, the size of movements, and interactive accessibility of the opposing articulators, he viewed those as hallmarks of speech motor skill. And that really is our job to advance our clients onto and down the path of oral development via differentiation. Oral differentiation, based in appropriate lingual stabilization, mobilization, and jaw support, results in refined, precise, purposeful movements. Instead of larger whole jaw, whole tongue, up-down movements as in babbling, the tongue differentiates itself from the jaw and acquires the ability to contract, anchor, and move either whole body or specific lingual parts independently and in coordination with other parts. The mid-tongue contracts or bunches, the front tongue stays straight or elevates or retroflexes, the back tongue elevates and stabilizes and mobilizes, and the tongue sides anchor appropriately. The tongue learns to move with physiological economy. In order to generate refined, small, movements. There must be stabilization near the moving part. That means for a for an S, for example, in order for the front tongue to sustain itself in space while air courses through, the front tongue is supported from nearby mid-tongue contraction and side tongue lateral bracing. Biting the teeth together to formulate an S does not provide stabilization near the moving part. Dr. Kent in 2004 explains, quote, The muscles of speech are specialized more for speed than for force, and they are capable of precise coordination in the performance of movement sequences. End quote. In connected speech, lingual movements must be agile as it tiptoes from placement to placement with rapid precision. Regarding the tongue to opposing articulator contact, the quotes Touch interaction is precise, meaning there is minimal surface-to-surface contact. This does not mean that every time we say a T, a T, for example, the tongue touches the same place on the alveolar ridge. No doubt there are zones, okay, or specified areas of contact considered to be appropriate to generate recognizable speech sounds. Number five. Intraoral sensory interaction during speaking. And there are four references listed under there. Speech production is first and foremost a sensory task. It utilizes intraoral tactile sensation, proprioception, and auditory sensation. And that's Takayuki et al., 2009. 
The mouth, if you will, is a sensing machine. It feels touch and levels of textures and pressure. It perceives spatial qualities, perceives temperatures, tastes, feels pain, and coordinates with the gustatory sense. With smell. And that's Howes et al. 2014. Functionally, it can be said that the mouth is the only body part that interacts with itself meaningfully. And those two forms of interaction are tactile sensation and proprioception. Now, generally, I refer to interoral sensations as tactile and proprioceptive. And while those terms are not technically incorrect, a frequently used term is somatosensory. The somatosensory system is concerned with the conscious perception of touch, pressure, pain, temperature, position, movement, and vibration, which arise from the muscles, joints, skin, and fascia. Unlike the specific receptors, the ears, eyes, and nose. According to Haggard and DeBauer, 2014, oral somatosensory awareness refers to the somatic sensations arising within the mouth and to the information these sensations provide about the state and structure of the mouth itself and objects in the mouth, such as the tongue or food or a thumb. Following are three ways to think about interoral sensation. Admittedly, each of these topics is a study unto itself, but only a brief amount of supportive information by researchers is provided. Number one, the importance and utilization of interoral somatosensory feedback. So in other words, the theory and what it is and why it's important. Quotes, this is Nasir in Austria, 2006. Quotes, speech production is dependent on both auditory and somatosensory feedback. Somatosensory information is central to achieving the precision requirements of speech movements. Accurate acoustic quality is not the brain's only goal during the motor control of speech. Precision in expected somatosensory feedback cues is also an important endpoint. That's the end of that quote. Here's another one by Haggard and DeBauer, 2014. The mouth has a special status within the somatosensory system. It is one of the most densely innervated parts of the body in terms of peripheral or surface receptors. This sensory richness is linked to the key role of oral sensory motor control in eating, drinking, and speaking. That's 2014. And then here's another one by Metcalf, 2005. Quote, Sensory perception is a prerequisite for motor function. Metcalf, 2005. Sensation is critical. And then here's number two. The second way to look at intraoral sensation the levels of perception and reactivity of interoral somatosensory feedback. In other words, an individual's personal perception, not merely do they feel it or do they not feel it. My question is, dare we assume that every person we work with perceives accurate intraoral as well as extraoral sensations? In an excellent 2015 study by Rakelme, and that's R-I-Q-U-E-L-M-E, et al. They compared the reactivity of children with autism spectrum disorders, ASD, and there were 27 of them, average age of 6.3 years. They compared them with typically developing peers. There were 30 of them, average age of 6.5 years. 
that children with ASD showed increased pain sensitivity, increased touch sensitivity, and diminished fine motor performance and proprioception compared to the healthy children. And number three, the use of sensory input in therapy. In other words, why and how SLPs apply sensory input to impact a client's motor output. So that's another way of looking at intraoral sensation. We all receive information via our sensations. In fact, it's the only avenue an SLP has to impress upon another individual. In therapy, visual and auditory sensory stimuli are often used. But since none of us can see our mouth firsthand and speech doesn't become auditory until we say something, I highly recommend adding to your visual and auditory sensory input, add intraoral tactile input and proprioceptive tasks to your therapy. This provides direct localization of the mouth and mouth parts for those that need it. To wrap up this section, I do have some concerns and questions. Unlike other sensory systems, such as hearing and vision, that can be assessed and the levels of acuity and perception can be determined and enhanced, do we continue to assume that all children's oral somatosensory system is healthy and in peak accurate working order? Do we assume there are no individual differences? Even intraoral taste, another important sense, varies among individuals. Unlike some of the research, my concern is not whether a child is actually feeling surface sensation or not, because eh, I'm thinking they are, okay, unless there's been a significant neuromuscular insult. But I'm concerned if they are perceiving interactive touch accurately. Raquel Me 2015 calls it reactivity. So do reactivity differences correspond with speech impairments? If so, what can be done to calibrate the intraoral tactile misperceptions, if anything? On to section four, oral resting posture, the harmonizer. The oral mechanism does not function in isolation. The surrounding structures and muscles work together in continuous mutual interaction. The desirable oral resting posture, where the lips, tongue, and jaw reside between functions, facilitates an effortless, harmonious, functional relationship. Now, there are two, two smaller parts in this section. And the first one is the positions. And this is from Hansen and Barrett, 1988. Here's the desirable oral resting posture. In essence, the lips are closed, okay, the front tongue is up, the tongue sides touch the side teeth, and the jaws elevated and slightly apart. The exact positions depend on the shape of the dental arch and the heart palate, the capability of the oral soft tissues, the respiratory path, and the psychological comfort. Does it feel good? Does it feel natural? So let's look at specifics. Lips. The lips are gently closed and held in a state of mild tonus, T-O-N-U-S, contraction. They exert a small amount of energy endurance to close and remain closed over time. But they are putting out some energy. Tongue. The surface, front, tip, and blade of the tongue posture on the alveolar ridge and perhaps behind, depending on the hard palate contour. The lateral margins touch the inside of the top back teeth and the tongue maintains its mild tonus contraction over time. The jaw. The jaw is elevated, but not closed. 
It maintains a freeway space of 1 to 3 millimeters between the occlusal surfaces of the top and bottom molars. Bilaterally, the mastication muscles sustain a state of mild tonus contraction. Now here are the undesirable oral resting postures. Undesirable oral positions are really any characteristics other than closed lips, an elevated tongue with lateral dental contact, and either a closed jaw or an open relaxed jaw. Respiration is an important variable and nose breathing is preferred. Chronic mouth breathing can cause a domino of negative responses. Also, keep in mind an individual's oral resting posture, no matter where it is, is home base especially for the lips, tongue, and jaw when not in use. Undesirably, the lips can be held slightly apart or extremely open, 10 plus millimeters. Open is open, no matter the extent of the parted lips. The oral seal is broken and encourages the tongue to posture in a lowered position. Not good. The tongue has four, maybe five position options. On the bottom, in the middle, in the middle and forward, on top, which is, of course, the desirable one, or one that I've personally seen only twice, contracted and retracted. Both were children with Down syndrome. And then the jaw positioning influences the tongue, i.e., wherever the jaw goes, so goes the tongue. The consequences of a lower jaw are obvious. No lip closure, no tongue-on-top positioning, etc., Air chronically circulates intraorally. Drooling may occur. If the jaw consistently clenches, the temporomandibular joints may fatigue, and over time, pain may occur. Plus, clenching is not healthy for teeth. And here's the second part of the oral resting posture piece, the rationale and importance. Admittedly, there is little research directly on the oral resting posture. Most research is based on oral respiration, which indirectly addresses the oral resting posture, which can impact the tongue's stabilization and accessible points of mobilization during speaking. Many therapists have discovered that the oral resting posture plays a critical role in therapy, especially generalization and carryover. Therefore, this important topic is included. Now, I wanted to include some information from the literature. Hito Sattel, 2012, assessed 439 children, ages 4 to 12 years, that breathed through their mouth. They found that 31.2% exhibited speech delays. They concluded that mouth breathing can affect speech development, socialization, and school performance. Early detection of mouth breathing is essential to prevent and minimize its negative effects on the overall development of individuals. That's the end of that quote. Bozzini and DeFrancesco, 2016, suggest that mouth breathing due to nasal obstruction and or pharyngeal and palatine tonsil hypertrophy can cause altered positions of the head and mandible and influence the position and tonicity of the tongue. Quote, when they persist, these abnormal characteristics modify the equilibrium of muscle pressure on the facial bones and teeth and induce morphological dental skeletal modifications. So, for example, increased lower facial height, which causes labial closure difficulty, small posterior airway, 
and an inferior, inferiorly positioned hyoid bone. Quotes, nasal breathing and a desirable oral resting posture in children may induce a correction of craniofacial growth and the adequate development of other functions such as chewing and swallowing. I would also add speaking. And what they're saying is that the position of the jaw influences craniofacial bone growth. And a third, Ishida and Hilmay, 2002, state, quote, The relative positions of the hyoid and mandible directly affect the length and angle of the floor of the mouth on which the tongue mass rides. As the mandible lowers, so the relative position of the tongue body will be lower relative to the maxillary tooth rows. I thought that was an interesting way of putting that. End quote. Obviously, this can affect lingual stabilization and mobilization. So following are several reasons and benefits to include oral resting posture in speech therapy. And they're listed in no particular order. And there's many of them. Here we go. It provides a centralized location up within the dental arch to one degree or another for the tongue to interact and pivot from and to home base during speaking and swallowing. Lateral margins of the tongue rest on the insides of the top back teeth. This provides easy access for lateral bracing during speaking functions. The front tongue rests on the area of the alveolar ridge where most front tongue vertical sounds take place and provides easy access. It also facilitates muscular physiological economy to move and access surrounding points of speaking placements. And this brings up the principle of least effort. And it was adapted in 1949 by Harvard linguist George Kingsley. In other words, the tongue does not move any further than it has to to get the job done. An elevated, slightly contracted tongue postured over time potentially helps to maintain lingual muscle tone and endurance. It provides intraoral tactile contact. When the jaw is lowered, the lips are parted, the tongue is down, and nothing is touching or interacting intraorally. Lip closure, tongue elevation, and a jaw that maintains a 1 to 3 millimeter space, freeway space, are all in mild tonus contraction. The muscles are physically at the ready to move immediately into functions that require greater levels of contraction. Jaw elevation and lip closure facilitates nasal breathing. Jaw elevation and lip closure facilitates accessible lingual palatal dental resting placement and use. Jaw elevation and lip closure aids in appropriate craniofacial bone growth. Jaw elevation and lip closure keeps the tongue and saliva inside. (laughs) Lip closure facilitates nasal breathing. Nasal airflow is healthier, filters the air, regulates the temperature, and maintains an appropriate humidity level. Lip closure helps to maintain anterior dental alignment. Anterior dental approximation is important in generating a fricative hissy S. The air courses through the approximated top, front, and bottom incisors when we make an S. And lip closure helps maintain a moist oral environment. It aids in saliva management as well as taste. Let's move into the last section, capability-based speech production therapy. And it's based on seven principles. The following seven purpose-driven therapy principles are based on the capabilities of the client, physiological, structural, and behavioral. 
and they include the speech production elements that we addressed above, okay? In fact, that's number one. Address speech production elements, okay, to generate oral capability over time. And just a little paragraph about that. The Speech Act can be parsed, as you already know, into identifiable, tangible components. The capability tasks are systematically determined, practiced, layered, practiced, combined, practiced, and shaped into the speech sound production and practiced some more. Appropriate articulator stabilization and mobilization are emphasized during the capability building process, during speech sound production, and during running speech. Number two, apply developmental differentiation speech acquisition principles. Now we're going to talk about this one. Therapy application takes into account the oral developmental differentiation process. According to Green et al. 2000, quote, motor development may involve differentiation, i.e., the modification of a pre-existing behavior into a more specialized one. And in early motor development, differentiation is characterized by increased independence in control of the components involved in the motor task. Did you get that one? Increased independence in control of the components involved in the motor task. Now, there are researchers that view babbling and chewing and only jaw movement was studied in this in this study that I'm talking about here, as not related to speech development. They do not believe that babbling and chewing relate to speech development. And this was Moore and Rourke, 1996. Personally, I view babbling, chewing, and swallowing as functions. And I prefer to investigate inside the functional movements i.e. the physiological components, to determine what capabilities develop or differentiate over time. In our field, we say that speech develops. Speech production, however, is a result of neuromuscular development. So speech is a result. And that's Green et al. 2000. So what are the observable characteristics of development and how can we apply those in speech production therapy? The differentiation process of the jaw, lips, and tongue progressively refine to one degree or another into differentiated stabilization and mobilization components for speech production. During the first year of development, the jaw is the primary articulator, as evidenced during babbling. Initially, the tongue moves with the jaw, or it moves horizontally. The tongue then develops lateral movements to move food. And this is Suzanne Evans-Morris and Marcia Dunn-Klein, 1987, page 56. In many of our speech children, they continue to produce jaw-driven speech and horizontal tongue movements, interdentals, and so on. In therapy... We endeavor to move our kids into stabilized, vertical, refined, precise lingual productions as the jaw remains appropriately supportive. So speech is all about movement refinement, which is basically differentiation, which is supposed to occur during the first few years of life. Number three, approach therapy as a capability building process that occurs over time. Not all children do 
or can immediately respond to auditory speech sound stimulation, but they need personalized instruction, repetition, and time to acquire the capability to produce the speech production. The acquisition of oral capabilities and speech productions is a process. According to Moss et al., 2008, they explain that, quote, an improved capability for skilled movement should not only be observable during practice, but should be retained over time, end quote. Regarding immediate sound stim therapy, I'd like to clarify the words we sometimes use with our speech kids and their production efforts, and the words are correct and incorrect. When using strictly an auditory approach, the therapist has but one form of sensory input to provide information about how to produce that speech sound, the auditory form. Then when the child responds and produces an incorrect speech sound, we typically confirm that, quotes, it's better and model the sound or the word again. The child, however, has no concept of what that means. And we keep going round and round sometimes settling for the child's close speech sound production. And I know all about this because I used to do that type of very frustrating therapy. Acoustically, a close, isolated speech sound production is not usually appropriately stabilized and mobilized. I recommend take time to shape and acquire stabilization and mobilization. It's a critical piece. And as you know by now, during connected speech, lingual stabilization, i.e. bracing, is central and necessary to, number one, move and transition from speech sound to speech sound, okay, and two, the presence of the tongue sides on the side teeth establish home base. It's where the tongue goes back to. It talks, then it goes back to home base. It talks, then it goes back to home base. The bracing location becomes a point for easy access and controlled speech sound production. It's rather like placing your fingers on the, on the keyboard home row prior to typing. If the tongue is not appropriately stabilized for all speech sounds, especially that new one that the child is learning, carryover, generalization, and transfer is very difficult. Number four, include speech sound relevancy throughout. Ensure the child is aware that the ultimate goal is speech and effective communication. Sousa, S-O-U-S-A, in his excellent book, How the Brain Learns, I love that book, 2017, the fifth edition, page 55, explains, quote, information is most likely to get stored if it makes sense and has meaning or relevancy to the child, end quote. As you parse and integrate the speech components, the client must also be aware of the relevancy connections. Otherwise, it's empty practice. So, for example, you might want to say, See? Your hand firmly sits on the table as you write. That's what your tongue sides do on your side teeth when it says the S, the S sound. Number five, apply sensory assist throughout as needed and tolerated. Sensory stimuli are the only means a therapist has to impact and localize the mouth and mouth parts to generate movement. According to Hodson and Payden, 1983, page 59, they say, 
the child needs to learn what the phoneme feels like, as well as what it sounds like. We use tactile cues as supplements when first presenting the new target. Tactile cues are simply ways in which the child, through feeling, gain additional information about the image of the target, end quote. Sensory information is powerful and necessary. Visual sensation, in other words, look at my mouth, look at your mouth in the mirror, as well as auditory sensation, for example, listen to my speech sound, listen to your speech sound, listen to the sounds on the app, etc., are most often used. We use visual and auditory sensation, typically. But there are two other forms of sensory sensory assists that help the individual focus on the mouth extraorally and intraorally. Tactile stimuli and proprioception. I mentioned this already, I know, but this is a repeat. The extraorally piece is touching the child on the outside of the mouth, on the face, so that the child begins to localize the mouth, because don't we know, there are some young children that have no clue they even have a mouth. So I'm talking inside the mouth as well as outside. A tactile stimulus involves input to surface receptors. Tactile sensory assists include localized forms of intraoral touch, like light touch, firm or deep touch, stroking, palpating, tapping. And variations can be added. Tastes, flavors, temperature, vibration. And I would caution you, do not use vibration with cases that have seizures. It may generate a seizure. But all of this tactile input can be done, for example, stroking the sides of the tongue and the perimeter of the palate and the side teeth to localize lateral margin bracing, or tapping the central portion of the tongue to generate mid-tongue contraction for internal grooving and tongue bowl for your internal lingual stabilization. Now, proprioception is generated internally from within the muscles. It facilitates the kinesthetic sense of movement and positioning. Intraoral proprioception is best generated, and this is so easy, by clients closing their eyes and focusing and feeling intraorally. I say to the kids, close your eyes and send a spy down to your tongue. And then number six, determine and compensate for production obstacles. SLPs work with a variety of individuals who have diagnosed or undiagnosed idiopathic neurophysiological, respiratory, oral facial heart tissue, and or soft tissue obstacles or habits that impede appropriate speech stabilization and mobilization. Those are obstacles. And depending on the extent of the obstacle, compensation speech production may be necessary. I mean, if the person has a really narrow dental arch and they cannot literally get the tongue up within the dental arch to generate lateral bracing. And you're going to have to do some compensation there. Electropalatography, EPG studies, indicate that some individuals with speech disorders are not able to brace the tongue in the desired manner to form accurate stop closures. And this was done by Gibbons, 1999, and Timmons et al. in 2011. This typically means there might be production obstacles, an excessively narrow or wide dental arch, a cleft palate, or large tonsils that displace the tongue, a restrictive lingual frenum, or neurophysiological issues, etc. I also view acquired adult neuromuscular issues as 
Obstacles. It is important to identify and take into account production obstacles and their impact on the speech elements. Liker and Gibson's 2007 objective was to determine the normal tongue palate patterns for velar stops. They found that there were differing amounts of contact between speakers. They surmised that some were contacting behind the palatal device. Quote, One explanation for the differences in amount of contact is the interspeaker variations in oral morphology. End quote. Rarely do you read how oral structural differences can alter lingual stabilization and mobilization. Most therapists, however, are well aware. And number seven, utilize practice principles. According to Moss et al. 2008, there are several theories of motor control and learning. They state, quote, speech production as a motor skill is governed by similar principles of motor learning. And, quote, the distinction between performance during acquisition, or practice, and retention slash transfer implies that learning, a permanent change in capability, and they put that in italics, for skilled movement, must be measured by retention and or transfer tests. And I think they mean by that, check it out and make sure that it's, it's permanent, <laughs> that the child has it, that they've acquired it. And then Mass Moss, M-A-A-S et al. also states that motor skill learning is facilitated by a number of factors pertaining to the structure of practice, stimulus selection, and the nature of feedback, end quote. The following are a couple of principles that Moss et al. bring forward. Pre-practice, motivation and understanding the task is important. And that kind of circles us back to number four above, the relevancy piece. And the number of practice trials. Although they admit that no empirical evidence is available, they suggest, quote, In general, a large number of practice trials is beneficial for learning non-speech motor tasks, end quote. I also suggest personally that it may be prudent to practice the number of repetitions and sets that the client can do physiologically. Unfamiliar oral motor tasks can be fatiguing. Therefore, consider doing only the number of repetitions and sets they are able to do. As fatigue sets in, the quality of the task typically diminishes, the child becomes less motivated, and practice benefit diminishes. Regular capability-based repetitions and sets during therapy sessions are important and, if possible, outside of the therapy session as well. Wow, this has been quite a ride. That concludes the new wave, and it also concludes our five podcasts on the perfect oral motor storm. I hope it's been informative and helpful for you. All the best to you, and thank you so much for everything that you do with your clients. Hey, busy SLP, Char Beauchart here. Here's a tip from me to you. Every week, become a lot more informed. Sign up for Therapy Matters at charbochart.com. It's free. Learn our tech and language tips and techniques and tons of ideas for making your school therapy life easier and more effective. I've been a therapist for 30 plus years, and I love to share what I've learned. Sign up for Therapy Matters, read it or listen to it 
at charboshart.com. You'll be glad you did because the therapy that you do matters. Sign up now. Thank you for listening to the speech. Please check out my other offerings at my website, charboshart.com, and also speechtherapypd.com. See you next time for more interviews, information, and insights. Until then, thank you so much for all that you do with your speech kids. Be well, and God bless.